Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that you didn't realize you needed. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by a few friends, uh, Mayank. Hey, everyone. Nish. How's it going, people? And Himanish. Hey, guys. And this week, we will be attempting to answer the question, does the umpire's call in DRS have any merit? Does it raise more issues than solve them? How does it actually work? All right, those are actually multiple questions, but we'll attempt to answer them all. And then later in the episode, we're going to take a look around and see what else is happening in the big, crazy world of cricket. Apparently, tours are being canceled at the last minute. Players continue to get freak injuries, and there are dream debuts for West Indian batsmen. And your hosts here will share their thoughts on all of those. But first, let me check in with my team. Nish, how, how has your week been? It's been productive, busy, and of course, exciting with the Indian Test Match starting. Okay. I don't know if you would call it exciting, but... What about, what about you, uh, Mike? Uh, similar for me, it's been kind of really hectic at work. And um, and then, yeah, we're we're staying up late at night watching the game. So that obviously doesn't help. But um, it, it's what we sort of accepted as Indian cricket fans sitting in the U.S. So I'm not going to complain. not going to complain at one game after Brisbane. Yeah, I missed Australia tour already just for that reason, because it was more reasonable hours for us. Oh, but yeah. now we have to stay up. Uh, you know, late into the night just to watch uh, watch this test match. Uh, what about you, Himanish? How has your week been? Uh, same. It's been a lot of research. Research has picked up uh, pace. Teaching has picked up pace. I teach astronomy to a bunch of undergrad kids. So that's picked up pace. But my sleep cycle is screwed because of the test match. So I'm trying to juggle those two things. And I'm trying to combat my advisor at the same time and do some research. Yeah. Yep, is yep. cricket like a step down from you, for you, from astronomy? In terms and- of... In it's terms like, of what? Just in terms of understanding all the different intricacies of the game. and I mean, yeah, it's a little easier to understand. But that being said, it's still like very complex. And there's a lot of uh, information that we don't have in the public domain because we don't play it as professionals. So there's a lot of lag between the information we have and the information that actually goes into playing the game. So it's as complex, but yeah. Theoretical physics, definitely. Uh, so I'd be lying can... if I said it wasn't more complex than cricket. 
So as yeah. an expert, as an expert, you can definitely say cricket is not rocket science. It's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Nish, did you? We often overcomplicate it. Yeah, I was just going to add some humor here and ask him, Nish, is there a universe in where Rohit Sharma is not mocked as purely talented batsman and given credit for his performance? I'll have to run simulations of such a universe and I'll get back to you. <laughs> it's very possible. Yes. I run simulations. Possible. One of them is running right now and I can tweak it to include Rohit Sharma and see how it goes. <laughs> that's probably an alternate timeline where that's possible. Yeah. Nish. Well, uh, my week was pretty decent. I, I got the second dose of the COVID vaccine. Uh, Thursday and oh, cool, cool. yeah, surprisingly awesome. did well. I, uh, you know, unlike some of my colleagues, I did not get, you know, fever, or joint pain or any other such nice things after the shot, but to make up for those lack of side effects, I got a headache from just watching Joe Root and company pile on the runs against <laughs> India over the weekend. <laughs> but as Michael Vaughn says, hashtag on, on. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to it. Our main segment this week is a heavy hitter. It's it's one of those topics that elicit strong reactions from both casual and seasoned observers of the game. Uh, the decision review system, or more popularly known as DRS, is a system that solely exists to assist on-field umpires in cricket to resolve disputed calls. Now, whether it does that in a manner that is satisfactory to everyone is another question. Uh, then there's the umpire's call. Uh, a tacit acknowledgement that even technology has its limitations, especially when it comes to LBWs. And uh, this is a high-level topic that you know many experts of all caliber have attempted to explain. And here at the last wicket, we are going to take a shot at it and see if we can make sense of it all. So let's start with the basics. Uh, Mayan, c- can you explain to us the context of how DRS and then later umpire's call came about? You know, what is this technology supposed to address? Sure. Um... So I think at the end of the day, you know, over the years, uh, while empiring has been improved uh, and has been improving, I think the the baseline still remains that there are still cases where there are really poor decisions that happen. And when DRS was initially introduced, I think at that point it was known as UDRS, um, and that was around the 2008 uh, timeframe, it was meant to focus on those uh, blunders and you know, really bad calls, really obviously either not out or out scenarios and making sure that teams are not robbed of that opportunity. Now with any technology, it's, you know, it's not a hundred percent, it's not perfect. And, and that's where umpire's calls comes in. Um, what we've learned over time as even as these ball tracking technologies have started to improve is that while they're very, very good in terms of estimating the line, they're slightly not as accurate when it comes to estimating the height. And and that's where when they're trying to figure out whether a ball is in the hitting zone, uh, basically seeing if the ball goes on to hit the wickets, um, there is a certain certain degree of doubt in, in some cases, especially pertaining to height. And that's really where empire calls come, comes in. And I think, in my opinion, there's a lot of um, outrage over this. There's a lot of even ex-players and commentators talking about this. Uh, in, and the reason for this is they just don't understand the details of the technology. Um, so I, I know we're going to get into the details a little bit, but I think that really should be the baseline understanding that it's meant to take care of absolute blunders, any obvious calls, and... Um, it's definitely having its impact and evolving the game overall. 
So, Himanish, can you can you talk to us about the science behind DRS, the umpire's call? So, uh, by DRS, I assume you mean Hawkeye, right? Because the DRS consists of multiple technologies. Uh, right. You have Snico, you have Hotspot, you have Hawkeye. So, our contention is with Hawkeye right now. That's the main debate going around. <clears throat> now, Hawkeye is quite simple. It has a set of six cameras, which are, uh, they have designated locations on the ground. And its objective is to reconstruct the ball path. So with your cameras, you uh, click pictures of the ball, which are shown as a video to you, but they're actually pictures, discrete pictures. And using that information, you plot a track of the ball. That's what Hawkeye does. Now your prediction technology, which is uh, predicting the path after impact, is what you reconstruct from that path. So given the data between pitching and impact, can you use a projectile motion model to extrapolate the path of the ball and therefore decide whether it will hit the stumps or not? So that's the science behind it. So you capture frames. That's why when you look at cameras, you have a frames per second measure, which tells you how many pictures is the camera taking per second. So Hawkeye uses a 300 FPS camera or like a set of cameras. And so they capture 300 frames per second. And that will be used to plot and reconstruct the path of the ball and then extrapolate from there where the ball would have gone. So that's what Hawkeye does. It's it's fairly simple in its, you know, schematics that this happened. Yeah. So one thing I would I think is worth mentioning is I know in general people will talk about Hawkeye and Snicko, but really from an ICC perspective, it's ball tracking because there's multiple companies who do that. So there's Virtual Eye and Hawkeye. Right. And similarly, yeah. there's sound-based edge detection, which is Snicometer, and I believe Ultra Edge is the other. Ultra one. Edge is the other. Uh, one. So yeah. these are, yeah. yeah. So so there's these multiple companies, and then the third piece is the heat-based uh, tracking, yeah. which is Hotspot. Um, that's that's the only vendor out there. Um, so yeah, I know. I think we we mention we often talk about it as in terms of Hawkeye's issues, but it's really ball tracking issues because while they right. these companies have slightly different algorithms, the the complexity and the issues that they both have are very, very similar. And right. I, I keep hearing about the 50% rule in LBW decision. Himanish, can you shed some light on that? So yeah, this is going to be a little long, but I'll tell you what exactly happened. So uh, because you don't have infinite pictures of the ball, right? You have a finite set of pictures. You have, let's say, 400 pictures of the ball. So you've got to use those 400 pictures to extrapolate where the ball is going, right? So there's an inherent error in this process because you can't exactly pinpoint where the ball is at all points in time. So you have to predict it. So what you see on TV is the most probable path of the ball. But what Hawkeye gives you is a distribution of outcomes with a certain error. So there's a dispersion in those outcomes. What you see on TV is the most probable path, but there is actually an error in the outcome. And... So this error depends on a bunch of things, right? So depending on where the ball pitched and where it hit you, how fast was the ball? Because all these things affect the number of data points you have for Hawkeye. A fast ball will enable you to gather fewer frames than a slower ball, right? So depending on where the ball is, how fast it is, and so on, you'll have different errors in the computation of your predicted paths. Now, the mistake we make and the mistake Shane Vaughan and Tendulkar make uh, when they talk about it is they watch it on TV. And on TV, it's designed to give you an easy experience. So what they show you on TV is one path. And the commentators present it like it's the only path that could have happened had the batsman not been there. That's not true. And that's why they make this mistake of saying, you know, 
how can it be out and not out on the same ball if the umpire says so because it's not the same ball now there's an inherent error in the prediction because it's a conjecture right it's not a true thing it's a conjecture on the basis of the data you have and the data can vary so that conjecture has a dispersion it has an error and to account for that error to give it a margin for error the icc have decided that 50% uh, is the um, margin that they should keep now uh, this was decided after a bunch of tests with a group at mit uh, in england so they collaborated with the icc uh, and they ran a bunch of tests now i personally don't think those tests are very conclusive uh because they bowled only 150 to 200 balls each uh using the red white and pink ball and they had one spinner and one pacer so what they did was they built a frame on the pitch and they uh shot a video of the balls and they cut off the feed at a given point in time so that's meant to simulate the impact and then they compared the prediction of the path to the actual path and on the basis of those tests they've decided that 50% is a good enough margin for all cases because you see you can't uh, compute the error for all cases live in a match so they haven't made the results public but on the basis of those tests which i don't think are significant enough they've decided that 50% is a good enough margin to have a general rule now this is also concerned with how uh, viewers interpret the broadcast so having a more technical rule where you have different errors where you have things like uncertainty cones on the broadcast will confuse viewers according to the icc so uh, cricketing view uh, contacted paul hawkins who's the founder of hawkeye and he said that we wanted to represent the dispersion in the outcomes using a cone on the broadcast so instead of one path you have a cone of paths so that that shows you that there's a probability of the ball being somewhere else as well it's not just one path but the icc vetoed that because they don't think that the viewers will be able to comprehend or understand that and this is what contributes to the uh, problems you see with the drs in the public eye that people think it's one trajectory one ball it's the only truth and how can it be out or not out depending on the umpire now the way cricket works is the philosophy of the game is that the umpire has primacy you've put that chap there to make a decision so that guy has made a decision and the review system is a decision making aid it's not a decision maker right so given that the umpire has made the decision does the technology have enough evidence to overturn it now in the 50% zone right it concludes according to the protocol set by the game the icc that you don't have enough evidence and as a broad rule you can't overturn the decision now you can probably go a step ahead and say that maybe don't have the umpire at all maybe just have the drs now that's a change in philosophy then you know the governors of the game have to decide that you change your philosophy Uh, the umpire has no importance and you just refer all lbws to the drs like you refer all runouts to the third umpire but that will entail a change in philosophy the current philosophy is that you have a uh, primacy given to the umpire and the umpire decides and then the drs sort of augments that decision and if it doesn't have enough evidence to change it then you don't change it. so that's what it is so the problem lies in how you see it on tv right right and that that makes you believe that it's one path but it's not it's dependent on the frame rate it's dependent on the uh contact you make with the ball when you make the contact how fast the ball goes and there's a lot of factors and there hasn't been a good testing of this thing in match conditions because the icc i guess are too uh they are just too uh lax about it so they they haven't tested these things in match conditions so in the absence of those tests the only tests we have are the winchester tests which were done i think 5 years ago 
And on the basis of that, they concluded that 50% is a good thing. They haven't published any results about that. Uh, we don't know what the dispersion of errors is for Hawkeye. Uh, we know it's not Gaussian. Uh, Paul Hawkins has responded to a couple of papers uh, by a couple of researchers at Cardiff uh, saying that it's not a normally distributed uh, thing with the errors. So we just know that and we don't know anything else. So in the absence of all that, they've decided the the committee has decided, whatever you call it, the working committee has decided that 50% uh, is a good enough you know, uh, bracket for the error. And in that case, you just maintain the primacy of the umpire and just go with what the umpire says. And that's what umpire's call is. And I think that's, that's a really interesting uh, key point that a lot of people fail to understand. The philosophy that uh, Himanish alluded to is, is very important. And the reason for that is it's supposed to be a review of the decision and not a review of the appeal. Because a lot of people will say, well, when we have technology, right. why don't we just move the empire out of the question? Uh, doesn't matter what he gave on the field. I just follow what the what the uh, you know technology is telling us. But it's not the philosophy right now is we follow the empire unless absolutely needed. And that's where it's a decision review system, meaning review of the decision, not a review of the initial appeal itself. So is that uh, more... It sounds to me more like cricket is caught between this, you know, where they want to keep some traditional aspects of the game, but also embrace technology to a certain extent. Does that sound like a fair statement where they're trying to kind of tread that fine line between having, because they're not essentially overturning the umpire's decision based on, you know, an assumption that, oh, technology is showing this is, you know, the outcome of it. They they want to say, well, this is what the umpire, the on-field umpire, you know, decided. Let's go with his mm -hmm. call, despite what technology is showing is the most likely scenario. I personally think it's it's definitely a bit of that, but I mean, more than that, if you think about the way they've solved this problem or they've handled this problem at the current moment, it is logical if you think about it, because there's a technology that will tell you or that will predict with a certain uh, percentage of confidence. When that confidence is low, then you're relying on the expert who's standing in the field. So that is not necessarily illogical. When you think about it, that's very much logical. So like I even while it is true that in a way they are, um, you know, they're saying, yeah, let's try to keep the game as it was and then add an element of technology to maybe improve it. Um, if you think about it, it it's, completely logical like i don't really know if there's a uh, different method to take take this approach uh, you know some might say oh yeah let's completely you know kick the empire out and put him in the box and he can just review no balls and run outs but that's a that's actually a game changer like that's a completely different conversation yeah it just makes it a different yeah, sport so it's, in some ways. it's 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 basically an admission of the fact that your technology isn't perfect and the yeah. empire came before the technology so you have him Right now, you can change that, and you can maybe say that oh, uh, you can have a separate umpire for DRS decisions in the TV box, and he has all the power to decide whether an LBW is out or not, and you take it out of the player's hands uh, completely. Now, that's a decision for again the game to make. Right? Uh, in fact, the uh, head of Virtualize suggested this recent. It was an interview about two weeks ago where he said that you know one solution to this umpire's call problem is just take it out of the player's hands and have a specially trained DRS umpire who knows what's going on and on the basis of what he sees or she sees, they can decide for the players. Now you can do that and that's a decision the game might make, but at the current time, it's very logical. It's it's meant to be consistent. It can't be perfect always. It's just meant to be logically consistent. 
And the logical consistency is that if you don't have enough evidence on the basis of the ball tracker, then the best way to go is go back to the umpire because that's what it is, right? So you you don't add any new information to the umpire's decision if the ball tracker isn't conclusive enough. So then you go back to the umpire and you go back to that decision. Now, as I said, the problem lies in how you represent it. Now you can change that. You can represent the distribution of outcomes at the stumps. And then you can also calculate, and I've done these calculations, of what are the chances of the ball hitting the stumps, given that distribution of outcomes. And maybe commentators would like to represent that when they talk about it, because then you can certainly say that although this ball looks like it's hitting the stumps, it had only a 40% chance of it, because there's a distribution of outcomes and you've got to average over all those outcomes to see the chances of the ball hitting the stumps. And the problem is that the commentators don't talk about that and they don't know that. Like Shane Vaughan is some someone who doesn't know this and he keeps talking about it. So a better way would be to represent yeah. the percentage chances of the ball hitting the stumps. But you need the ICC to change its uh, archaic stance for that. Yeah. So, and that would lead to a lot of confusion going away. Yeah. So Sorry. it seems pretty obvious to me that you know the umpire's call is very crucial in resolving tight calls. You know, my understanding is that it addresses the simple concept. Uh, there needs to be a clear mistake by the on-field umpire to reverse the decision. Right. So yeah. why? I mean, you guys touched upon touched on it a little bit. You know, why it why the umpire's call is so controversial, uh, and almost every time uh, someone is frustrated, frustrated like a section of fans, they get uh, frustrated when it impacts the final decision. I think it speaks to an understanding of the technology and understanding of what it is meant to do. And I think it gets reinforced when the commentators say, oh, you know, it, I don't agree with this. You know, I don't agree with what Hawkeye showed or I don't agree with the projection. I think it kind of feeds into that right. because most fans, like we don't do deep dives into like how DRS works and like understanding the technology and understanding the different, like the 50% rule or, you know, all of those concepts. We go based on what we see and what we think should you know, show up and then it's reinforced by what the commentators say. So do you think that is, uh, uh, contributes to why it's perceived with so much doubt? No, I was just saying that the example that comes to mind when you say that, Benny, is actually from just yesterday's day of, uh, yesterday's play where, um, or maybe it was the day before, but basically India was bowling to England and um, you know, one of the LBW appeals showed that it was going much higher than it wasn't even Empire's call. And Sunil Gavaskar in the commentary box, and I, I saw many others on Twitter, say there's no way that was going high. This pitch is not bouncing that much. And that was at best Empire's call. And that's just a perception that people have. That's their, uh, I don't even want to call it an estimate because it's just their guess, really. Um, so a lot of those aspects add up as well. So there's obviously all the confusion around how Empire's call works and why is it out and not out when we see the ball hitting. But there's also this perspective where people will generally say, you know, the pitch isn't bouncing that much when clearly there's been a lot of balls which have gone over Rishabh Pant's gloves or Butler's gloves. And those those balls are there, even if they are the outlier, even if they are not, you know, the 80% case. Those balls are happening, but it's just people's perception that, oh, that, that doesn't sound likely at all. I think they're just making that making their stuff up. So that adds to the confusion for sure. Yeah, I think it's because the commentators aren't educated about how the technology works actually. And there's this commentary culture nowadays where if you're an ex-player, you're good enough to commentate, which is not true because most commentators are very incompetent. 
and this is another dimension of their incompetence that they don't understand how drs works and they think their naked eye can uh, maybe overrule that or like say um, right. something better about the ball's trajectory but this 100% contributes to the misunderstanding because you might have a doubt about the drs right but when you see shane won or tendulkar uh, when he's not defending india uh, when you see him tweeting about it uh, then you definitely get it like you you uh, get this feedback from these guys that yes yes we are right about this and that contributes to this whole cycle of misinformation which i think it's the commentators job to educate themselves because they are paid for it they have a job to educate the masses about the game that they commentate on it's literally that so right. they don't do that well and therefore it contributes to the whole um, you know quagmire of misinformation anish uh, you wanted to add something yeah i just wanted to echo both uh, mayank and himnish's sentiment in that there are like multiple facets into why there is this continued outrage right like we need to understand that people need to you know it's it's a hard concept right the casual fan you know unless we deliver it in such a way that the casual fan understands it's hard to expect them to understand and this is the ownership of icc the commentators etc to you know like simplify a process right one of the ways to like get people engaged is to simplify something complex into digestible understandable components and if you don't do that and if you know there's a big science to this and you're um kind of like force feed this into an audience which is in the heat of the moment you know coming with like inherent biases and stuff right yeah and then you you're just adding fuel to the fire and then on top of this you know casual fans like myself you know like unless un- until i read uh the articles that's written you know across the cricketing literature about drs and its implications right like i wouldn't know what the science behind it even now you know like my understanding is has improved certainly but is it 200% nowhere close so imagine a person like sachin or you know like sankara or shane warn with such a large influence of the cricketing masses say something like a casual fan like myself would say right so then you have the problem of this whole outrage cycle and then you automatically people are attacking drs and hawkeye and so forth you know so why would they let's think about let's just think this through right why would you attack something and call it a failure there there's an inherent uh understanding that okay if something needs changing it means there's something wrong with it we don't know if there's something wrong with drs right it's a toolkit for the umpire to help resolve certain issues right it's an accessory now it's not a, it's not a full front solution right it's something that the umpires can use it if needed to come to a logical conclusion and long point short is it is a complex device that needs to be simplified for the larger audience to understand and one more thing is um technology is here to stay and it will have a bigger impact in all of sports right just like in any fastest flight right 20 years ago this cell phone that i hold in my hand was you know could be considered magic to its common practice technology will seep into all facets of life and similar yeah. parallel can be drawn with uh, var in soccer right there is an incredible outrage after every game with how you know the commentators the people behind the scenes um, who are adjudicating these things for var uh var for our audiences video assistance referee which is the technology equivalent of drs in soccer and there's a lack of understanding of, of how var is used and again its implementation is in early stages so there's a lot of complexity so cricket is you know kind of like much more mature but the paths are very similar in that the audience need to be checked and simplified at all times to uh, to understand the game better and you know i was going to throw i was going to throw up this question of you know what the legitimate failings of drs are and in the way they're implemented right now and can it be improved at all 
And I think I already got my answer. I think the answer lies in education, you know, educating fans. And who, whose job is it? Is it the ICC or is it the commentators? Because nobody's making that effort. And I don't think it, you know, high up on the priority list for ICC. I feel like they would say it's not our job to educate you. Our job is providing the technology and, you know, you guys figure it out. And I think the commentators, since they're essentially re relaying the game to us uh, as we watch it, I think that's very important for them to have an understanding of it and explain it rather than just have a perspective of a casual fan because then anyone can go and commentate on right. the game. And right. and I think, you know, j just thinking about it, maybe this is a sidebar, but commentators, they have a lot more responsibility than they think. You know, it's not just a cushy job for right. an ex-player. Yeah. You know, not just this, but you're supposed to read up on the players that are playing the game. You're supposed to read up on the tactics and the strategies that are being employed by the uh, by each team. And I think, and the same with technology, it's such a big component of our sport right now that if we are not understanding, and every time we as fans get frustrated with the technology, I think it's the commentator's job to explain it. So I, I think the answer is in educate, educating the fans and educating the general public and probably even the players as far as understanding DRS. Uh, Mike, do you, do you think, you know, this can actually be improved at all? Are there alternate solutions? Oh, I mean, I think the solution in general, like from the technology perspective, is going to improve. Because as I said, the, uh, the hitting zone that they define at the beginning of the call, I mentioned that, you know, they're pretty good at predicting the line as compared to the height. You know, a while back, Simon Toffel confirmed during the India-Australia series that a while back, even that hitting zone was from the center of the off-stump to the center of the leg stump. So from a technology perspective, they've changed that from the center to the to the side, meaning they've been able to get very accurate and say that, yeah, we're able to figure out the line very well. Height, we're still working on something. So from a technology perspective, it's going to improve. I do think there's an aspect of... Uh, communication, which Nish pointed out to, which him and Nish mentioned that, you know, just from showing either like a percentage of confidence in that call or, or something like that, I, I know they don't want to show a cone of possible projections, but at least some sort of, you know, confidence percentage or something like that would go a long way in, uh, in you know, making sure that the end user is, is comfortable and, and also pushing like broadcasters and communicators to uh, commentators, sorry, not communicators, commentators to just be, uh, you know, read up on that, just do some sort of homework. But I, I do have one other point related to DRS, which is actually not related to Pascal at all, which I personally think is something to be looked at and something to be changed. And that in my mind is hotspot because in ICC's official documents, they say the minimum requirements for DRS requires sound-based technology, meaning SNCC or ultraage, ball tracking, meaning Hawkeye or virtual eye. They do not actually require the heat-based mapping, which is what uh, uh, hotspot is. And in addition to that, from whatever I've read, whatever I've tried to understand, it's clear that hotspot has a dependence on which direction the light is coming from. So if you know the sun is on the offside and you're looking at a leg side edge, it's not sometimes not as 100% sure. And they, in fact, have rules which say that, you know, listen to SNCO over hotspot. So if we are doing that, if we are going to ignore hotspot anyways, why have it at all? In my mind, that is another issue that the ICC could look at. It's not as big an issue as the Empire call, but even that, in my mind, undermines the confidence that, 
people have because they'll see two technologies back to back they'll see snicko which will say one thing hotspot which will say another thing and i know i don't have the numbers around it but anecdotally i've seen that sort of variation quite a few times so that's another thing that i would think about yeah so there's two things so uh, one i think the icc need to take ownership of this thing and they need to commission a broad based test of how uh, ball tracking performs in various conditions they haven't done that yet they should do it uh secondly there should be a change in the broadcast so the broadcast shows you that one path and that's what uh contributes to your misconception of what's happening so the broadcast should display some sort of a percentage chance of hitting the stumps i think that will communicate better to people that it's it's a probability it's not a sure event it's it's a distribution of outcomes and that's what people don't understand right now and uh the icc are afraid that you know people won't understand that but we have things like dls and we don't need to worry about we don't need to patronize cricket fans by saying that they're dumb enough to not understand what a percentage chance of hitting the stumps means right. when we have so many complex numbers in cricket so it's okay i think and the icc should push for this change so that this controversy dies down and people understand that the icc are logical consistent about how they use umpire's call Right. I I miss the days of arguing over the Duckworth Lewis system. Good old days. <laughs> I mean that's also another topic we can broach in some other episode. Yes. But yeah, yeah. One day. Because people don't understand it, people, you know, debate about it. I mean, it. Yeah. I mean talking about education, right? Like we we've, we've been talking about ICC and commentators, you know, it's their responsibility. They should kind of communicate this better. I think amateur bloggers have been doing a lot better job in recent times of explaining or tr- trying to like break it down and explain it to us yeah and I, again this is a whole different topic uh regarding how commentators are you know former cricketers become commentators and then they regurgitate the same you know spiel of you know tired uh learned commentaries right so one thing that came to mind was recently i think uh, at indian morino algopen called out morley karthik for his lack of research and then Murli Karthik took to Twitter to respond. So again, this shows that our commentators are, you know, not up to the mark or not up to the standards that we as audience um, set for them. It's you know, of, uh, I funny and disappointing. If there are any cricket commentators listening to our podcast, uh, we like you guys. You know, please come on our show. <laughs> we can have a they, they, they can discussion. they can add us. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a healthy discussion. Let's let's have you know let's talk. things out let's uh have a healthy debate um i mean that's what we're here for we don't want to just accept what conventional wisdom is about all these things we want to take deep dives and if there's any shortcoming you know we as cricket fans we want to see that addressed so you know that's my sincere thing uh but himanish you 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 recently opened the floodgates to quite a few blogs analyzing drs when you published a set of data that contained over 3000 referrals from test matches that spanned the period between uh November 2010 and December 2020 so let me ask you what are the trends that stood out for you and does it give any indication of how umpiring standards have evolved over this time period yes yeah, so i released the data in december and uh, tony cork who goes by matter of stats on twitter he was kind enough and uh, skillful enough to make a blog post on it and analyze the data and uh, there are a few conclusions on the basis of what he's done uh, which is that uh, your referrals are successful about 25% of the time 
and that hasn't really changed that much over the years so the umpire's call data was recorded only since 2017 and um the umpire's call is about let's see it's about 10 to 15% of your uh, total number of decisions but your uh, reviews are successful about 25% of the time and that doesn't change now uh, he also did this by team and uh, by team as well there's not a significant difference uh, you have about 25% uh, uh, successful reviews by team uh, that doesn't change much uh india have a higher percentage of umpires called decisions but that might just be because they are uh, they started using the drs late and that's when you have a bias called decisions being recorded so that's just uh, a factor of that uh now let's look at how he did it by batting and bowling so yeah so if you're batting then you have a higher success rate of uh your reviews and that's logical because if you're batting you know if you've edged it and so on so bowling wise the review success rate is about 20% 15% batting wise it's higher than 25% so the average is 25 but batting um, has a higher success rate and that's logical uh what else did he do so he did an analysis by umpire and michael goff has the highest percentage of unsuccessful reviews against him so he's the best um, by that metric so michael goff billy bowden dharam sena kettlebro which uh, who's called kettlebot on reddit because he's a robot who makes all the right decisions so yeah these are the best performing umpires uh, joel wilson and billy doctro are the worst performing uh, they have a success rate of slightly more than 50% so uh, only about 50 to 55% of their decisions are upheld do we not have any uh, other players on that list let's see so they have s ravi and he is fairly in the middle like he is so about 25% of his decisions are overturned so that's fairly average uh, the other interesting thing we saw uh, was that uh, if you look at the referrals by the day of the test then the success percentage goes down as you go further in the match now that might be because you're taking desperate reviews and you want to get people out and so on it's not a big trend it's not a very big trend but there is a trend that you know the the number of successful reviews or the percentage of successful reviews goes down as the match progresses uh that's pretty much it he had a couple of ground analyses as well he had a couple of player analyses as well which i can post uh, in the podcast notes um uh the important thing which i want to bring to light is that kohli had a success rate of what is this 40% while batting and only uh, about 15% while bowling at the one point i was going to mention was when you think about that data i know we talked about you know details from an empire standpoint but overall 25% success in uh, overturning a call means that the empire gets it right 75% of the time a decision is reviewed that just when a decision re- is reviewed there's so many other cases when they're not even reviewed meaning that these empires who are making these decisions within you know seconds were basically basically making snap calls for a living they are doing it very very well i mean obviously there's some variation in empires by ground as well by players as well but that's that's expected so overall i think that tells you that empires in general who are you know doing that job for at the international level are doing a pretty solid job yeah i mean anecdotally you know whenever an umpire's decision like especially when it comes to lbws when they are challenged like i just get this feeling that 
it's going to be umpire's call. So <laughs> why even bother? Does that do you think that kind of puts an element of doubt in the feel, fielding team if they want to you know appeal it? Because for most 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 of the time, when an umpire has made a decision and they send it upstairs, there's a very high likelihood. Again, this is anecdotal. It seems to be a very high likelihood that it's going to stay on field with the on-field umpire's decision. Do you think that's impacting how fielding teams? Uh, or even like batsmen for that matter, appeal the decision? If uh, that rule started in 2017, I believe. So I, I don't know, Himanish, if you have data specific, well, I guess all your data is after 2017, right? So we may not be able to see a clear trend, but my thought would be since 2017, when they started, uh, you know, not deducting a review when it was Empire's call, teams would be a little more liberal to take it because they don't really have anything to lose. At least that would be my um, guesstimate. Yeah, so there's no data on when they took it and when they didn't. I just know that since 2017, the umpire's call percentage has gone up. Uh, okay. So yeah, it might mean that teams are referring more. Uh, I also misspoke on Kohli a little bit. So Kohli, I misinterpreted the graph here. I just want to say that he has a success rate of um, 2 over 15. So that's about... 14% uh, while batting. So that's low. So okay. out of the 15 recorded uh, reviews that he's taken while batting, two have been successful, nine have been uh, unsuccessful, and four have been umpire's call. So he does have a low success rate while batting. I think it just draws attention to the fact you cannot be emotional when you send these decisions up uh, for review because it doesn't matter what you think it is. Uh, you have to be a little bit more, you have to have a lot more common sense. Uh, and especially as a batsman, you need to really trust your partner to help make you that decision. So Benny, what, so Benny, what you're saying is don't trust Siraj or Broad, right? <laughs> well, uh, your numbers. I, I have more sympathy for newer players. I don't have much grace for <laughs> more senior players. I remember the good old days when Virinder Sehwag would just automatically review, like without even consulting his partner. Yeah, uh, especially the, I remember Sehwag's review of uh, Malinga's LBW in the 2011 final. That yeah. was as plum and LBW as you can <laughs> oh, imagine. Yeah. So there's so, and I think he did it twice like in that World Cup. Yeah, Against Pakistan also he did it in the semi-final. And it was a similar kind of ball yeah. which sort of hit him on the pad in front and kept a little low and skidded on. And then he just reviewed. I think it was Junaid Khan who bowled it. And he was very yeah. like, yeah, hopeful. I just, it I also has to do sense. with the ego of the batsman, right? That, That's right. You know, I, like, it's just that attitude. I want to like, review anyway. Yeah, it's just that attitude like, there's no way he got me out. No, it can't be true. <laughs> Which, <laughs> actually, I don't know. It's probably also a mindset of a champion batsman. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll give him some grace for that. I think one one thing that general fans need to keep in mind when they talk about DRS is it whether the system is 100% or not, which clearly it's not, it, it still allows for consistency. And, and what I mean by consistency is there will be some biases that empires have. And I don't mean by country. I'm not saying, you know, SRV is going to give decisions for India uh, or something like that. That's not been proven by data. But, but the other bias, what I mean by that is if they've always grown up on pitches which don't bounce that much, they might be more willing to give a dis LBW when it hits the needle, while somebody in Australia may usually give that not up. And that's where DRS brings that consistency and and we need to keep that in mind when when judging the system so so critically. All right. Well, we are going to leave it there. So as you have heard, uh, DRS is a complex system, as most technologies are. There are always going to be pros and cons, but 
our consensus is that it offers more benefits than not. Uh, we're going to put up a bunch of data and links in our show notes and on our website. So do check it out and let us know your thoughts and feels. One thing is for sure, this won't be the last discussion about DRS we ever have. Here at The Last Wicked, we are always thinking of ways that we can cover the hottest topics in the cricket world. And this can sometimes cause us to miss out on cricket news that might be worth mentioning. So in the first edition of our Meanwhile segment, our team will share our thoughts on news that almost passed us by. So Nish, what do you have for us this week? So for this week, um, hot off the press is the first one that I want to focus on is Australian tour cancellation, or I should say postponement. Um, now this comes on the bank on, on the back of uh, England recently pulling out of their um, ODI leg, and this is something that's kind of expected given the hesitation around Australia to tour. Uh, despite South Africa's best efforts, it looks like this tour is um, has been postponed indefinitely. And now um, the, uh, the problem with this for Australia is that this impacts their uh, World Test Championship final prospects. So as we know now that uh, Western New Zealand have booked their place in the finals and for Australia to go through, they need uh, other results to go their way. Essentially, they need England to win by a margin of either 1-0 or 2-0 or 1-2 in the ongoing series against uh, India. Or if India win the series 1-0 or if the series ends in a draw. So that will essentially put Australia against uh, New Zealand in the final summer. Okay. For England, uh, destiny is still in their own hands. Um, if they win the series by 4-0, 3-0, or 3-1, which looked uh, unlikely three days ago, um, you know they can potentially reach the finals. India is still in a strong uh, position where if they win by 2-0, 2-1, 3-0, 3-1, or 4-0, they can go to the finals as well. So India is the most likely uh, team in the finals. Uh, Mayank, thoughts? So one of the interesting pieces that somebody mentioned on Twitter to me was since the COVID situation started, uh, there's only been two tours that Australia have not canceled. One was England and then having India at home. So there's that other angle that a lot of people are talking about. Oh, yeah, the big three of cricket. They don't really care about the revenue of others. I, I obviously... Sitting here, it's hard to hard for me to speculate that. Um, but I mean, I, I'm sure that if this was a tour of India, the chances of pulling out were probably going to be slightly lesser than South Africa. Um, and the other point there is, th this is a really tough situation in general. Like COVID is very, very tough. And these things can happen. You know, people testing positive can happen in whether they're touring India, they're the touring England or Australia. It's unfortunate that it happened with South Africa, um, considering where the board is and how they're sort of still recovering. But um, it, it's kind of what we'll, we'll sort of have to deal with over the next year or so. I mean, I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the Australians because they essentially sacrificed their spot in the final, right? If they cannot reschedule this tour in time, they're going to miss out on qualifying for the Test Championship final. And again, like, like Mike, you said, the COVID thing, it is a serious thing, right? Like, we are talking about it from a purely sports point of view. But, I mean, there have been so many deaths. People have, you know, got sick. People have lost jobs. It's it's affected our lives, like each and every one of our lives, in a very strong way. So it's obviously something that 
Cricket Australia want to be very careful about as far as you know how their players would get affected. So I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And but like you also said, it it doesn't help that the two tours that they did not cancel were you know cash cows. Um, but I, I I want to give the Australian team the benefit of the doubt. I'm I'm really sad because I was looking forward to that series after all. Uh, you know, it was going to be Australia's first, uh, I mean, it was Australia going back to South Africa for a test series for the first time since that sandpaper um, incident. And I thought it made for a good narrative. It would have been, it would have been fascinating cricket and we'll, we are, we are going to miss out on that. I really hope that they can, you know, reschedule that tour. I, I really want to see that happen. Uh, I don't know if they even considered an alternate uh, option, like having it at, in Australia or having it in a, at a neutral ground. Maybe it was a logistics thing, but it'll be it'll be a travesty for cricket fans if we don't get to see these two teams take on. I think Australia other. offered to host them and they uh, right. yeah. refused. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Australia South yeah, Africa Australia. is always very competitive, right? Because they have similar yeah. conditions and right. they always beat each other in each other's home. Mm-hmm. So it's right. always competitive. Yeah, so it would have been and, nice to uh, see. It's a shame. Graham Smith was pretty like disappointed despite South Africa's best efforts. I think um, if uh, from the reports that I uh, read for the research for this topic, um, I think South Africa were willing to um, you know import like multiple um, you know set uh, some guidelines in terms of like you know importing an Australian system for like you know tracking of play- where the players are and the virus uh, rates are, and you know they also planned on. Um, doing extensive biosecure uh, bubbles. So they were uh, willing to go above and beyond to incorporate Australia. But at the end of the day, this is, you know, uh, you cannot really blame anyone. It's not a blame game. We live in weird times right now. So we just have to be as agile as possible and, you know, right. take things as yeah. it comes. It's a fair call. And uh, one more point regarding the World Test Championship is um, had Australia not lost those points for their poor overrate in Melbourne, they would have been on par with New Zealand. Uh, in terms of like uh, PCT percentage, and then it would have come down to runs per wicket ratio, where Australia are currently better uh, than New Zealand, and they would have had their own destiny in their hands. So this kind of goes to show that how Im- important uh, over rates are. You know, like it's just not like a numbers or like you know monetary fine. There's much bigger impact as going to the future. I'm so guessing it's... Kane Williamson is so happy that he doesn't have to worry about these fine margins for once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all a bit farcical, right? Like some teams have played only home series. Some teams have played three series. Some have played five yeah. series. It's yeah. very farcically put together. And it was a farce from the beginning. But uh, with I, COVID, it's become even much more of a farce. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's definitely the, the, I, whole, the whole concept of the World Test Championship. I, I think it's a topic that we as a podcast should talk about sometimes. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I have a lot of uh, grouses against the way it has been structured at the moment. Well, I, I will say one thing, though. Like, I, I do agree that, yeah, it's not been perfectly structured, but this is the first time, like, somebody's scared about Sri Lanka beating some random team mm-hmm. because, you know, that affects their team's uh, position. So in that right. way, it definitely brings the cricket community together and makes them focus on games other than their own nation. So I do think yeah. there's positive to it. The first iteration is far from perfect, that I think we all agree. Right. Yep. 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 Okay, now moving on to the next um, news roundup uh, event. 
is one of a freak injury. Zach Trolley, England's incumbent number three, slipped and fell outside of the dressing room in Chennai on a marble floor and got his wrist jarred, which led him to miss the first and second test matches. Now that's as bizarre as it comes. Now let's go back in time here a little bit and we can look at a few other incidents quickly that are, you know, are similar in terms of freakishness. One, of course, is the famous McGrath 2005 Edge Baston or the day before, on, or the day after Edge Baston, I believe it was. He yeah, it was the morning. stepped on a stray ball and um, slipped and fell while playing touch rugby. And, you know, and everybody know, knew, know how that Edge Baston test turned out. So, you know, it's a case of what could have been. So that's one incident. And another one in 2006 is Yuvraj playing Coco and he got injured, uh, which was kind of important because we were in the middle of the Champions Trophy at that time and we had a crunch gaping in Australia, which he missed. And uh, my research tells me that Vengsarkar uh, Rao, the selector at that time, was very, very unhappy <laughs> with the events that followed. They banned Coco and another... after that? <laughs> so I was actually going to mention that. I feel like there was another injury, maybe not as severe, but it was Coco related. And I heard like Twitter, fan, Twitter fans and Indian fans just outraged saying, why are we playing Coco and, and all Seriously, of that? Let's and play the, soccer uh, instead and uh, get injured in a different way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I want to understand why we, like, you know, like, is it something that's habitual or is there something, actual reason behind it? Obviously, we're not going to play a cricket, game of cricket to warm up for cricket, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, cricket is not really made for <laughs> a warm up and- game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a warm-up and like team bonding or something like that. I mean, soccer is just one ball, right? It's just easier to kind of organize like a bunch of guys just split into two teams and play. All you need is a ball and like makeshift goalposts um, and that's it. Cricket, that's you need a bat, ball, like, you know, pick yeah. players for each team. Um, and the last injury that I have on that on my list here is Hayden being attacked by a dog in 2006 when he went for a run. And this caused him a cut, a deep cut on his ankle. And he was almost on the verge of missing the first Ashes test. But however, he ended up playing and then England was 5-0. <laughs> this, this is the Australia? kind of sabotage we need. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, they should, uh, I mean, if India want to try out these tactics, they should, you know, I think they should have these games near Chennai, like what they're doing right now, because <laughs> trust me, dogs in Chennai are really vicious, as vicious as probably yeah. the dog that bit Hayden. I was actually going to ask, was that actually Chennai? Because yeah, we have some crazy dogs <laughs> in Chennai. Yeah, some slight <laughs> anecdote there, like um, during my visa process at the Chennai consulate, there's a typically a long line there to get to the U.S. consulate in Chennai. And there are a bunch of like crazy dogs roaming around that area. This was around at least 10 years ago. So yes, your point stands about Chennai dogs. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the third um, roundup of news that I have is, of course, it's less than 24 hours old. And this is really hot of the press is Kyle Myers. Like Kyle Myers, um, Maybe a week ago, you know, outside of the people in the not have known much about him. In fact, I did not know much about him as well. And he scored an unbeaten 210 not out. Uh, that is unbeaten, sorry. Um, to finish off a stupendous 395 run chase against Bangladesh last night. Now, this was remarkable for a lot of reasons. Not only because of, you know, a typical uh, reasons of chasing a target, chasing a current subcontinent, chasing a target of over 350, you know, all that stuff is true. But he, he, Myers is a person making his debut and he did not for one instance look like a 
person making his debut, he, you know, fourth inning chases are not stuff for people who are making debuts to perform well at. You have people like Sachin Tendulkar and other established players who succeeded in this role after years of, you know, being in the game and understanding the nuances of how to, you know, pace a chase. And so this was extraordinary uh, considering his debut and then West Indies were playing like um, practically a C or a B team. So, um, yeah, I thought this was like, you know, fourth inning chases are oddly becoming more and more frequent. You know, what once seemed like Mount Everest, people are surmounting these. Uh, I don't know if this is a trend, but it's certainly seeming to, I mean, all we need just, we just need four data points for a trend, right? So it looks like we're heading there. So, well, first of all, I, 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 at five in the morning, I'm, I'm like waking up to see if India has bowled out. <laughs> or batting the second innings yet you know with that attitude I was checking the score but then social media was all about the Kyle Mayers guy and I was like half asleep I'm like who what why are we talking about a West Indies batsman but then I you know I was looking at the score I was like this is very impressive and uh, I was just stunned because his batting average was like 28 and here he is in his first game like a, at the international like test level fourth innings and against Bangladesh spinners in their backyard, he's taking um, them to victory. He's taking West Indies to victory. And, you know, there was a lot of, obviously, you know, a lot of tweets and a lot of posts and people were praising the innings. And I think it's all well-deserved. I'm still partial to Kushal Pereira's uh, unbeaten ton in that uh, one wicket victory over South Africa. I still think that, for me, that remains as, uh, at least in my opinion, the best chase. Um, along with, you know, Stokes and Rishabh Pant. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. Like Nish, you said that it, it seems like in just this year, we are seeing, you know, some really good chases. I think players are getting really good at not letting the perception, oh, it's hard to chase a stiff target on the last day. I think that was just the general perception for a long time. But players, the mindset has changed that they don't think of it that way. Nobody like it's afraid of spin on the fifth day pitch and the wear and tear, all of those things. They just go with a mindset of we can chase this down and we can win and they play with common sense. So I'm not really surprised on one hand that this is becoming more of a trend and it actually makes for some good cricket. So yeah, that's exciting. So I think the, the one piece I will add is um, Shakib al Hassan was out injured. So that definitely played against Bangladesh. He was in the 11, but could not bowl in the fourth inning. So um, that obviously doesn't take anything against what Mayers and uh, uh, Bonner, the two debutants, managed. It's still a pretty solid accomplishment for sure. Um, but what I try to do, because, you know, like you guys said, it, both of them were unknown quantities before yesterday. I was just trying to read more about from, uh, these guys from people who are from the region. So the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, as an example, they talked about a couple of their bloggers who have been very adamant about um, mayors in particular and how he should be part of the team. So, um, you know, like Benny did, I also checked their first class record and I was like, that doesn't seem like that great a record, but, you know, maybe there's more to it. Maybe he's playing on pitches which are not as conducive. And there were definitely some advocates who've been talking about this for a, a year or so, apparently. Yeah, so I just wanted to add that... Uh... Anand Narayanan, uh, who's a statistician, who's worked for a long time with a lot of different organizations, he writes for Cricket for now, and he maintains this Golden Willow ranking, which is basically a ranking of the best test innings, and he factors in a lot of things like the pitch quality, the bowling quality, 
and there's a lot of stuff happening there so he pushed an update today which said that this innings by Kyle Mayers was uh, the eighth best innings of all time uh, for the record uh, Kushal Pereira's innings is number 1 and the ben stokes innings at headingly is number 19 or 18 uh, but yeah so this this innings is number 8 and uh, he was trying to also tweak his algorithm to account for the fact that uh, it's a debut so he hasn't yet right. done that but if he does that he he believes it will be in the top 5 somewhere but if you haven't checked out his work you definitely should like he's the og of cricket stats uh, work so he pushed an update saying that it's number 8 uh, mm. on the list yeah Also he uh Mayers has a batting style very similar to Ridley Jacobs. I don't know if anyone else, you know, thought about yep. that when seeing. I remember you know, <laughs> it was just a very muscular hitting like he moved well like in in the crease. It's not it was not a perfect innings. There was a lot of streaky shots, edges and you know all of that, but for most part he was moving well within the crease and like, you know, playing the spinners pretty well. Um but Yeah, I thought he was brilliant and he deserves all the credit and attention. Apparently Cricket West Indies arranged a call between his dad and him. It was a surprise to mm-hmm. Mayers. Yep. And I thought that was a very nice touch and speaking of nice touches, I was thinking, man, if I ever accomplish anything successful, I need Ian Bishop to commentate on that. Like I need that running commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I saw your tweet on that yeah. <laughs> I just, I just love yeah. his you can do a remember the name for her for mayors but I think it was definitely like he would have really deserved it for that talk. Yeah and just uh add to that history of chases we might be looking at another awesome chase by South Africa who are in a very strong position mm. in Pakistan going to day 5 right. so yeah. that's something to look forward to. Yeah that'll be exciting. No it, it's a big thing to chase down these totals in Asia in the fourth innings as an away team right? It's very difficult, and that's why it's a big thing because the Destiny's team, as you said, is a B team or even a C team, and they've come and they performed so well, and they won. So it's definitely like I just like to watch good Test cricket and everyone doing well. Ideally, I'd like to have like twenty yep. Test teams doing well, competing Great. well. So it's very heartening for everyone uh, to watch. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. Please do join us again next week as we discuss a recent article on The Wire about how the younger Indian cricket stars are the new face of modern India. We will also be having a special IPL-themed segment, so don't miss that. Do subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes, follow us on your social media feeds, and do spread the word about this show. For more details, please visit our website at thelastwicket.com. There you will find all the links to the articles and the data we refer to in today's episode. Once again, thank you for listening and we hope you come back for more. From all of us here at The Last Wicket, have a great week. <laughs>